Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. You go ahead and introduce it. I hadn't got that clear in my mind. Go ahead. (laughs) Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And this is Carl Carlson. Well, Carl, I was assuming I was going to introduce this one. (laughs) (laughs) Assumptions again. Yeah. That could get you in trouble. Well, where did this come from? You brought it up as we were chatting just before we hit record. And I was like, oh, we got to hit record. And then we kind of stumbled at the start there a little bit. But was this a question or where did this come from? No, this is not a question. This is uh, reflecting with some client work. Uh, that I've done over the last year, and just thinking about uh, topics for uh, podcasts. And in the reflection on client work is how often I run into the the questionable assumptions that people make. So where, like as a consultant, where I can add value, and I'm sure you do the same, is helping guiding people into good practices mm-hmm. on reliability or FME, whatever tools we're using. And a lot of that involves assumptions. So it's not a, it's, it's just sort of a category of discussion as to what kinds of assumptions should we be on the alert for? How do we know when an assumption is actually being made? In other words, it, it sounds so real that we forget sometimes that it is an assumption. And so what are some of the big hitter assumptions that we see that can derail a reliability program or get wrong information? And what do we do about that? And what are some of the assumptions that really do work? And and so I thought that'd be an interesting subject. I hadn't thought it beyond that. So it's going to be fun to sort of create it as we talk uh, this morning. Well, the hard part is, is that, you know, not just in product development, but in everything we do like if i'm driving to an office someplace i'm assuming that the google maps is going to say it's going to take 30 minutes and it'll take about 30 minutes you know and two and a half hours later because i'm on the wrong side of calgary i realized that was a bad assumption because it assumed (laughs) i knew how to drive my car and follow directions (laughs) in a foreign city um but we make assumptions all the time that you know the vendors are going to give us good parts that the mold is going to be you know, well-maintained all the way through the production run. We're going to do this. We're going to do it. We have to make millions of assumptions. But when you narrow it down to the, and I give you a long list of really bad assumptions I've run into that just, just not just the reliability program, but the performance of the product going out the door. It was, ends up being reliability problems or quality problems are just a disaster. I mean, everything from, oh, well, we're going to use the standard because that's what watches do, and we're we're doing a product that goes on our wrist, and and it is just assuming that the standard would apply to their product, just because they needed to test it somehow. And I no, <laughs> if if we can in a podcast share with readers, or sensitize listeners, I say readers, listeners to the subject of assumptions so you can be aware of when an assumption is being made. That's like the first step is seeing it. And that's, the, and that's hard to do. It, it really, really is hard to do. It's because we do it so often and so glibly and so commonly. And it's like, I mean, there's... 
I'll, I'll give a silly example. This is not silly at all, but the, the different different subject is uh, meditation, which I use every so often. Mm-hmm. And and when you're meditating, you're supposed to be be aware of your thoughts. Don't change because of them, but you can see them flying by and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So and it's not that easy sometimes to be aware of your thinking because it happens below your awareness sometimes. Yep. And so it's very interesting just, oh, well, dear, there, there goes a thought. Uh, but let me, I'm going to uh, throw in two of them that just occurred to me while you were talking and, and that really kind of hit what you were saying on. So I'll just throw these out and then let's take up some other ones, time permitting. But one of them is you mentioned uh, that is a vendor giving, sending a good parts. And that is a interesting potential assumption. Like if you're doing a process FMEA, you have to actually consider are we assuming that the parts coming into the plant are good or not? And that really should be considered before you do the process FMEA, because if you do not assume that, and I think it's not necessarily a good assumption, then you have to have a good incoming parts inspection, good incoming parts station that can differentiate, or you have to have, you work with the suppliers at their location to make sure you see their test data before they ship that kind of thing. Yeah, so that, no, so that's you're not that invited. Sort of jumped up. You're not yeah. invited to my program then, because that's well, that to me it's overly cautious and in it sets a, a bureaucratic response to challenge, you know, as defining assumptions. So it's I would much rather and it's I'm surprised you didn't mention doing an FMEA type thing or a risk analysis type thing. If we've been working with this supplier for decades and we've got consistently good products and never raised an issue or field problem or catastrophic issue. And even if we did, they were very responsive and very helpful and stuff. I'm using an extreme example of a trusted partner. Sure. We can pretty much assume based on our experience that we're good. Now the hard part is, is that when that logic then says, well, all vendors are good. That's that's the bad assumption. So I think it's more of a, um, what are the circumstances that lead you to believe that you're okay versus not okay? And look at that process of making decisions and saying, hey, we got a new vendor. My uncle Bob's uncle talked talk to us about it, you know, and, and they're, they, they operate out of the back of their garage and they're, sometimes they move a lot and, but they're okay. They're good guys. And, well, let's, let's, let's do what you were recommending. Let's make sure we're doing first article inspection and doing all the other stuff and let's check this and monitor Absolutely. it and everything else. And it, yeah. And don't, and don't get me wrong here. I would not apply that to everybody. And I agree with what you're saying there. You basically, if you have data on suppliers, well then that's going to help you know whether their parts are good and you can assume or not. If you don't have data, that's a flag. Yeah. Um, or as you said, if you have experience, which is similar, in other words, you have experience, which is usually based on data. And But we, what we want to be aware of is we don't use blanket assumptions. Right. And I think that's where I think the technique of recognizing assumptions is, well, what's that? How do we know that? If somebody says, oh, we'll make it up. We'll recover after we start shipping. All right. Well, what's the evidence that you're good at that? Or do you, what's, you know, what's that based on? And, yeah. You know, what, what, what it, so it's part of it is, is, is it's the same with statistical analysis. If I'm going to assume it's this distribution, well, what evidence is there that that's appropriate? 
Now, the one I find oftentimes is, well, we're going to be conservative. And I challenge that again. It's like the five whys technique. It's like, well, mm-hmm. what's that based on? What, what's the rationale that supports that decision? And the hard part with this process of saying, well, what's that? Where's the evidence? Where's that supporting? Is it's not always a decision. It's just part of, we're going to, it's not an overt decision. Not somebody saying, oh, we're assuming it's exponential. It's like, well, we did this analysis. And it, it takes a bit more astuteness, at least from statistics, to go, well, that analysis you did is based on the assumption of an exponential distribution or a normal distribution or whatever. But you have to know that. What's the evidence for, for you to be there? And I see this more often in the medical industry is they challenge everything. Everything's got to be documented you know, and supported and, and good resources and references. But most of us don't do that. We say, oh, we're, we think it's normal, so... Okay, <laughs> what happens if it's not? <laughs> and 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 note if as as a listener here to what Fred's saying, note what Fred is saying. He's saying challenge things, question, ask why, and that's really the key there. Is because you've you know enough to speak up and say, well, well, where's the data for that, or what's the evidence, or what's your rationale for making that assumption. That's what we want people to do. So as part of this assumption discussion, speaking up and asking why and challenging assumptions is a good thing. Well, even, I mean, even before I had the experience from my very first accelerated life test, you know, I'm, I'm going through Wayne Nelson's book on accelerated testing. And what he did in his book kind of set me on this path of, well, here's the assumptions I'm making and here's how you check them. And and it was like, well, do I do this technique or that technique? Well, what the difference was, well, what's the underlying distribution? And I'm like, oh, well, I need to learn about how to detect what kind of distribution I'm dealing with. So right. I went off and did some of that kind of work. And I found it to be, because I could do the analysis either way, I would get two completely different answers. <laughs> exactly. Know? And they look beautiful. I could write a they're, whole paper about it. They're mathematically it. correct based on the assumptions right. that you have. And so... The part of it is, is that even when you're doing your own analysis, well, are these paired comparisons or are they, you know, individual comparisons? Am I, you know, what tech hypothesis test should I use? Challenge your own assumptions. That's where the practice comes in. And then you build more confidence to go, all right, you know, Bill, I, I saw you do this, this, and this. Underpinning that is an assumption. Is that valid? Uh, I like to start every analysis I do, whether it's statistical or reliability analysis, or whether it's FMEA or any other tool, I like to start by documenting the assumptions that are going in. Yep. And so I never do an FMEA without documenting the assumptions yep. that uh, that precede the FMEA. And and I, similarly, with if I'm doing an analysis, uh, I'll say, well, what are the assumptions? And of course, that gets into the assumptions that go into the distribution that's being used. Right. Now, the, so I think... W- one of the techniques we mentioned there is to recognize it. One is practice it. Just ask that question yourself. But I think it's also when you can recognize an assumption being made, it's usually a logic element. And it might be a grand generalization or there's all red herring or it might be a false causation or whatever all the techniques for logic traps that are out there. Um, you know, A causes B, B causes C. Does that really mean that A causes C? Um, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe not. 
There's our neighborhood raccoon by the window. I, I guess we're, <laughs> we're still living in the woods. Um, but it, sorry about that. Um, but the idea is, is that be cautious of how people explain something. If, if it, it sounds like a generalization or always, or we've never, or, you know, it's, if there's not evidence or backing or, you know, something rational, but in the logic that leads into an analysis or a conclusion, um, I had one director of engineering says, Oh, we don't, we don't need to worry about reliability at all. We only hire really good engineers. Oh, wow. And so I only took one question to d destroy. This is, so what's your warranty rate? Oh, okay. <laughs> that's four times your industry average, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> really good engineers. Yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, there, there's stuff that obviously it's very positive to hire good engineers, but you still need to understand reliability. You need to understand safety. You need to understand uh, quality. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that go into good engineering. Yep. And that doesn't necessarily come about from the university. That's a different subject. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's a whole other subject. But assuming that, oh, they'll solve that problem. The other one I see in, in it's unrelated. Well, it's related to reliability. Everything is, of course, is the, mm -hmm. the we're, we're going into detailed design, but we still have four inventions left to solve. You know, we, we, we have four problems that we don't have a solution for, but we need to create an invention or some sort of breakthrough to do it. And, but we're only three weeks from production, so we'll figure it out. <laughs> like, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That really works out well. I'm thinking back to uh, my first uh, encounter. Now we're going back in the eighties when I, when I started encountering exponential distribution as an assumption. Oh, yeah. And and that one, I I had this really nice project. It was I was so fortunate because I was in I was a manager of reliability at the time. And I had students that were coming through part they we got reliability added into the core curriculum of uh, interns and that they would they would spend a, a few weeks in the reliability department mm -hmm. as their overall interning. Mm -hmm. And so that was a really wonderful thing. And I thought, I'm going to find out if this kerfluffle over exponential distribution is real or not. So we have the a database, this is back at General Motors, we had a, a database where we ran the vehicles from all over the world. We'd buy them and run them through the test track, Belgian mm -hmm. blocks and test track, and we would root cause the failures. And that's part of learning about vehicles and designing better vehicles and learning from competitors. Mm -hmm. And it was a phenomenal database. So I said, let's start interrogating that database to see uh, what whether or not we're getting a exponential uh, distribution or not. Mm -hmm. I mean, what, what a beautiful thing. We could look at chassis. We could look at electrical. We could look at the whole vehicle. We could cross-check it any way. And so this intern did it and, and came back with plots and none of them were the bathtub curve. They were all more like a checkmark curve or something where it goes down at first and then starts going up. But they don't have that. We didn't find anything in the plots that I, that I had in that particular project that showed that flat portion of the constant failure rate. And so that opened my eyes that, that the data that we had at the time uh, didn't match the assumptions that were going all over the place back in the 80s. I mean, into mill standards and into uh, textbooks 
and what have you. So I, it's just fun to 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 expose or to challenge the assumptions that go into analyses and into in, into some standards. It makes its way into so many different parts of our our work, including occurrence rating tables that we talked about. Oh, definitely. Uh, my favorite though is the I had a um, it was a component vendor for an integrated circuit, and he says, "So how do you know that this?" that it'll work in our environment. And he says, well, we ran these 15 standard tests and we've never had a failure. Okay. You didn't answer the question. <laughs> <You know>? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Those tests don't tell us anything whatsoever other than you passed the test. You know, they you ran 77 samples at 85C and 85RH for a thousand hours. So what? <laughs> what yeah. does that translate into real life? Oh, I don't know. We passed the test. Like, and this this uh, this assumption question should go into everything. So if you're designing a test, what are the assumptions going into the test? Are you yeah. assuming that the parts you built are representative of of what? Oh, and then the, do you have a way to translate the test results into use conditions if you're accelerating it or or stressing mm -hmm. it in some way? Or is I ran into this yesterday. This is well, how would we test this? Well. What's the mechanism? Well, it's diffusion, right? Well, what are the factors that would increase the amount of diffusion that you're getting? And, mm. you know, is is it temperature? Try it, you know, because sometimes temperature in soft polymers um, physically change the the spacing of the polymer so that diffusion is inhibited. And, and they went, really? And was, yeah. Have you ever seen this in any of your accelerated tests, your temperature test? No. And said, hmm. But you saw it in a week in the field. <laughs> It's like, yeah, you might want to check that. Um, wow. But it's some of the ability to spot assumptions is experience and awareness of what are those things. And I think that's where the study and just you doing your own homework is, one, here's a safe technique. Don't assume anything that your computer or your calculator tells you is correct. If it's on <laughs> the internet... <laughs> Yes. challenge it <laughs> well you know i'll share one more story and then i know we'll need to wrap up at some point but the because there's tons of stories on this i did a project and i won't go into the specifics of it because it's it's i don't want to violate confidential obviously uh, but the project was a a particular product that was developed in japan and it it worked very well in Japan. It's a, it has safety implications, so it's very important. And it was brought over, a manufacturer brought, brought it over to the United States and didn't made an assumption that the environment the product was uh, used in was the same. In other words, didn't take well, into account Japan the environment the in the U.S. Is Japan to U.S., it's an island country versus a continent, basically, and, and temperatures, if you're, I mean, if you're moving from Italy to California, the Italian, the Mediterranean climate would be similar. I could see yeah. it that way, but going from one country to another, when you have a country that's this size, there's a lot of differences. <laughs> and this had to do with weather and lightning and different things, and so the, the no one even questioned it. The product went into production, uh, and it had real problems in the field. And the problem was, is the environment that it came into was assumed to be the same, and it wasn't. It wasn't, yeah. No, you see that all the time. I ran into that with one of the most weird phenomena I ran into, is they took this box, electronics box, and... You know, they developed it in Colorado. It's high and dry kind of 
scenario and they worried about ESD all the time. So they did all this protection for that electrostatic discharge because it was common in, in Colorado. And they decided they were going to open a new market in Brazil and the fungus of this, it was an outdoor unit and just mold and fungus and bacteria and all kinds of other things just ate the whole thing up. It <laughs> just destroyed oh, yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, they exactly. never, you know, it's just a little warmer. It's not a big deal. And we won't have to worry about ESD, you know, just because moving to a new environment solves one of the issues that you have, it doesn't mean that it doesn't create new issues for you. Mother nature's is very creative. And sometimes assumptions are correct. Like uh, I had a client that uh, said, okay, we're assuming exponential distribution. But then we went and looked at the data and they actually had a, 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 a evidence of failure rate. They had yeah. evidence of it. Well, it's, and, that's it, the hard part is that the, the real challenge, isn't it, is recognizing it. And I think it comes down to you just need to get practiced at doing this and, and recognizing logic flaws. And the easiest one is the generalization. Oh, that never happens. All right. Well, yeah. never's a long time. That's a one-off. <laughs> yeah. Or oh yeah, no. In, in prototype building and testing, you get well. Well, that was just a prototype. That'll never yeah, happen. We can really. explain that one. Yes. <laughs> that's right. We only had ten samples, and it happened in one of them. So that's that's one-off. And I'm like, all right. Well, that also represents technically ten percent of your production. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do the root cause and really figure it out. It's such a fun subject. I mean, I say fun. I mean, it can be very serious. And if you have as a listener stories about this or ways to be aware of assumptions in a better way, it's like techniques you use Mm -hmm. to surface what the assumptions are and question them. uh, We'd love to hear from you on it. Yeah, let us know. Head over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR. A couple of ways for you to get in touch with us. Carl and I and the other hosts of the show are available through LinkedIn and through our about pages. And as I recognized the last time I did this, um, and on our comments on the podcast episode page itself or on um, uh, article posts, there's all kinds of ways you can get in touch with us. So we really do appreciate that. Now, yeah, I think we're coming back to this assumptions one because we were just getting started. I know we're getting started. <laughs> but I think we need to really focus on how do you recognize and challenge appropriately? I think there's a bit more finesse that we can pull into that. Sounds good. I agree. I assume I'm going to have a good day today, so we'll uh, finish off the podcast. All right. Well, thanks, Carl. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show. Please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.